Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Conquest and Defeat series, which walks through the book of 2 Samuel, discovering life's journey of grace, mercy, and faith. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. As we come to 2 Samuel chapter 8 tonight, we're coming to a time in David's life where I believe David is is having to choose for himself what kind of a leader he's going to be. He's having to make uh, some some tough choices. Am I going to follow the, the trends of the leadership that has gone before me, or am I going to choose for myself to follow God? And we're going to come to 2 Samuel chapter number 8. We're going to discover that David is in this time in his life. We already know if you've been with us through our study, David is now established as king. Uh, we, we saw that multiple weeks ago and he moved, went into Jerusalem and he, he conquered Jerusalem up until David conquering Jerusalem. Jerusalem had never been under Israel Israelite rule and David goes in and Joab goes through those secret uh, uh, caves underneath the, 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 uh, the, the walls and goes all the way up into the, the capital city of Jerusalem and gets inside and opens the gates. And you can read the story, the, uh, the idea of what took place and you can look it up. There's a museum in Israel that can kind of tell you what, what took place there. And Joab gets in and David conquers Jerusalem from the Jebusites. At this time, David also would conquer the Philistines a couple of times and, and, and not, not all over, but just right there in Jerusalem. And then we notice that David, he said, I'm going to bring the ark of God to Jerusalem. We're going to make the ark, of course, that ark representing the presence of God. And David saying, we understand that we're not going to move forward unless God is with us. And so God, we're going to bring the ark here into, into the capital city. And then last week, uh, or not last week, excuse me, but two weeks ago, we were in, in uh, 2 Samuel chapter number 7, where David came up with his plan. Remember, David's plan was, God, I'm going to build a house for you. And, and if, if you recall the message, God kind of set David down and said, hey, you, you've got some good intentions, but that's not my plan. My plan is not that you would build a house for me. Have I asked you to build a house? Have I asked anybody in the history of Israel? Have I asked them to give me a dwelling place? No, because really your, what you make wouldn't even be worthy for my, as my footstool. No, David, I've got a bigger plan. And remember, we saw two weeks ago where God made the Davidic covenant with David that I'm going to give the Messiah through your line. David, it's not about a building. David, it's about a kingdom. And David, one day there's going to be a king that comes from your bloodline that will sit upon the throne forever and ever and giving him the promise of Messiah. And David, wow, in humility from 2 Samuel chapter 7, I believe verse uh, maybe 17 or 18 all the way through the end of the chapter, David says, man, who am I? Who am I, God, that you would do this, that you would select my family and, and put my, my uh, great-grandchildren, somebody from my bloodline upon the throne? Wow, God, your ways are way better than I could ever imagine. Your plans are way better than my intentions. And even though David had good intentions, he realized two weeks ago, he realized, I don't want good intentions, I want God's plan. Well, tonight, tonight we come and really... It's kind of a tough, it's a tough chapter. 
There's a lot that takes place in this chapter. There's some things that if we were just giving it a casual reading, we would say, wow, that, that doesn't make any sense. But tonight I believe we're going to see David coming to the place where he says, for the time being, God, I choose to follow you. God, I choose for myself. I'm not going to follow what others have done. I'm not going to walk in the footsteps of Saul or of, of Eli or of Samuel. No, God, we're, we're trudging our own path, and it's going to be a path that follows you completely. And I want you to see it with me tonight. And so 2 Samuel chapter number 1, and what we're going to do is we're actually going to work through the entire chapter right now. We're just, you can stay seated tonight. We're going to read verse 1 all the way down through verse number 18 just to kind of get it all under our belt. And then we'll go through and we'll see a few choices that David makes that helps us see his choice or his uh, choosing to follow God. 2 Samuel chapter number 8 and verse number 1. And after this, it came to pass that David... He smote the Philistines and subdued them. And, and David took Methagama. All right, Methagama would be just another name for Gath, Gath of the Philistines, that city that we would know of. He took Methagama out of the hand of the Philistines and he smote Moab. And he measured them with a line, uh, casting them down to the ground, even with two lines measured he to put to death, and with one full line to keep alive. I'll explain that verse in a minute. And so the Moabites, they became David's servants, and he brought gifts, or, and they brought gifts. And David smote also Hadad Ezer, Hadad Ezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. As he went to recover his border at the river Euphrates, and David took from him a thousand chariots and seven hundred horsemen and twenty thousand footmen, and David hoed all the chariot horses, but reserved of them for an hundred chariots. And when the Syrians of Damascus came to succor, to support Hadad Ezer, king of Zobah, David slew of the Syrians two and twenty thousand men. Then David put a garrisons, he put garrisons in Syria of Damascus, and the Syrians, they became servants to David, and they brought gifts. And the Lord, notice verse 6, the end of it, the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. And David took the shields of gold that were on the servants of Hadad Ezer and brought them to Jerusalem from Batah and Berothai, uh, and from, city, from Berothai, cities of Hadad Ezer, king uh, excuse me, cities of Hadad-Ezer, King David took exceeding much brass. Now when Toy, that's a good name, when Toy, king of Hamath, that's an easy Bible name, he, a king of Hamath heard that David had smitten all the host of Hadad-Ezer, then Toy sent Joram, his son, unto King David to salute him and to bless him because he had fought against Hadad-Ezer and smitten him for Hadad-Ezer had wars with Toy and Joram brought with him vessels of silver and vessels of gold and vessels of brass, which also King David did dedicate unto the Lord with the silver and gold that he had dedicated of all nations which he subdued, of Syria and of Moab and of the children of Ammon and of the Philistines and of Amalek and of the spoil of Hadad-Ezer, son of Rehob, king of Zobah. And David got him a name when he returned from smiting of the Syrians in the valley of salt being 18,000 men, he put garrisons in Edom, 
Throughout all Edom put he garrisons, and all they of Edom became David's servants. Verse 14, notice the last part of it again. And the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. And David reigned over all Israel, and David executed judgment and justice unto all his people. And Joab, the son of Zariah, was over the host, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Elihud, was recorder, and Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were, were the priests, and Sariah was the scribe, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over both the Cherethites and the Pelethites, and David's sons were chief rulers. There's a lot that takes place in this passage, but what I find in this passage is David coming to a crossroads. And I'm going to say it a couple of times tonight, but the crossroad that David comes to is one that you and I probably come to at least once a day. And that crossroad is the crossroad of which direction am I going to go? Am I going to follow God? Am I going to pursue God and the plans of God and what God has instructed? Or Am I going to go the plan, the way of, of others? David had to make this choice. Am I going to follow the way of the leadership before me and go lead just like they did? Or am I going to lead how God would have me to lead? And tonight, I believe we're going to see that David, while he must choose for himself, he chooses wisely. And he chooses to make his kingdom, establish his kingdom as a kingdom that follows God. And I want us to see this tonight, so let's pray, ask him to bless the word, and then we'll get right into it. Dear God, we want to come before you, and we thank you again for uh, the Bible. We thank you for how you use it to speak to us. And Lord, I pray that tonight you would use it once again to help us. I pray, God, that you would be with my mind and my heart as I speak. Lord, that you would again speak through me, that you would... Uh, Bring to mind things that I've studied through this week and, and even this afternoon, Lord, I pray that you would just, just help me to convey exactly what you once said through the passage and the message tonight. And Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that uh, is with us in person or even online that does not know you as Savior, they don't know that heaven is where they would spend eternity, I pray that tonight would be the night that they put their faith in you. And then God, if there are, uh, for those that do know you as Savior, I pray that you'd help us to understand that each and every day we must choose to follow you for ourselves. Lord, that it can't be a decision that somebody else makes, that we can't just follow uh, the faith of others and, and let that be good enough for us, but Lord, that each and every day we must choose to follow you by faith and make decisions based upon your leading in our life. And so God, I pray that you'd speak to us tonight. We commit this time to you. We love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we come to this passage in 2 Samuel 8, David, <clears throat> he's, he's finally done with the phase of his life. Really, I, I know we've, we've been out of it for a little bit, but, but he's really out of the phase of running. Remember for years, as a matter of fact, probably for, for 13 years, David would have been running from, from Saul. 
For 20 years, David would have been uh, uh, really running from Saul for those 13, and then for another seven, even as king of the southern region of Judah, would have been kind of uh, at skirmishes, we know, uh, at battle with Israel to the north. And, and finally, all of that is over. Finally, David is the king of, of all of the tribes of Israel. Finally, David has built himself a house and he's built himself a palace, really, and, and spent multiple years building this. And so now we're, we're a few years, probably even, even eight to ten years past David being the full king of, of Israel. But it comes a time in David's life when he again has to choose, am I going to lead like Saul and like Samuel and like Eli and like the judges before, or am I going to lead the way God would want me to lead? And I want us to see three specific decisions that David made tonight, three things that I believe help us understand that David was really stating to the people, but also I believe stating to God, God, I'm going to lead how you would want me to lead. Notice a few decisions that David made that help us see this. First off tonight, I see that David chose to, he chose to eliminate the enemy. David chose to eliminate the enemy. As we read our passage tonight, we find David going to war with a lot of different people groups. Now, I know the map might be a little small and all of the writing on there, but I'll try to, I'll walk over to the TV a little bit and, and try to point some things out, but in verse number one of our passage, David, he deals with the Philistines. He goes to Methagama or Gath is the, the word that we would use. And I'm going to walk over to this TV because that one, the piano's in the way. But if you were to go, of course, to Jerusalem, Gath, just right to the west of Jerusalem, the Philistines would be, of course, in that region right there. And although on a map like this, it would seem somewhat small at the beginning of chapter number eight, this would be a large region that many of the Philistines would, would have uh, had a foothold in. And this area, Gath, Gath would be that really that capital city of the Philistines. It would be the, uh, the, the mother city, if you will. And David understood, if I can take the mother city of Gath, we'll be able to subdue the Philistines. All of those daughter cities that relied on Gath, they will now have to, have to turn and rely on us. And really, if you think about it, the city of, of Gath and the people of Philistia, they were what one man says, David's besetting enemy. Think about this, that... In David's life and really Israel's life, when you think of Israel versus the, and you think of a people group, most people who know the Bible would say Philistines. You're, you're not, you, you might name the Ammonites or the Moabites or the, uh, the Ashdodites or something like that, the Canaanites, but most people, you say, who was Israel's biggest enemy? Most people are going to say the Philistines. For over a hundred years, the Israelites had really struggled with the Philistines. You can go to the book of Judges and find Philistia being those who would be against Israel many times. Philistia were the ones who captured the ark. Think about this. When God anointed Saul king of Israel, God literally said to Saul, he said, Saul, I'm anointing you king because I want you to deliver my people from the Philistines. And yet you go and you trace Saul's life 
And Saul, he got so busy trying to accomplish his own agenda. He got so busy trying to build a name for himself that Saul, he never got the job done. And as a matter of fact, do you know who Saul died in battle against? The Philistines. This, this enemy was a, a besetting enemy for the people of Israel and for David. I believe in particular that the, the people of the Philistines were uh, maybe even a soft spot in David's life. Do you remember when David was running for his life? Whenever he had a lapse in faith, the two or three times that David had a lapse in faith, what people did he run to? The Philistines. He ran to Achish, and he ran, uh, he ran to Gath, and David, I believe that the Philistines, they represented a great temptation for David to never follow through on the promises that God had given him, and so what does he do? David goes to the west, and he defeats, verse number one, he defeats the Philistines. Well, who else does he defeat? Well, verse two, it tells us he defeats the Moabites. You can look on the map and you can see, again, Jerusalem. You have the west, the, would be the Philistines. The south would be the Moabites and the Edomites. And it says that David goes, verse number two, and he defeats them. And then what you read there in verse number two, when it says that he measured them a line, casting them down to the ground, even two lines measured he to put to death and one full line he kept alive. Basically, he just said, two-thirds of you are going to die and one-third of you are going to become our slaves. You're going to become our servants. Now, some might be like, well, how cruel. I mean, how cruel was this for him to do that? But we have to remember, if you were here in our, our Relentless series in the book of Judges, I think 2019, that we went through this to understand what God had told the people of Israel was when you take the promised land, you need to drive out or destroy the enemies of, of God. You need to drive them out or destroy them. Go read the book of Judges. The very first part of the book of Judges, God said to the people of Israel, get them out or destroy them because they are people that they are going to take you down. And they will be, they will be that thorn in your flesh for generations unless you push them out of the promised land. This is the land that I'm giving to you as my people. And so David really in this passage, you know what he's doing? He's executing God's judgment on people who have turned their back on God. Did you know at one time, God had a, had a conditional promise with the Moabites and the Edomites, but they had turned back on, their, on that conditional promise that God had made with them. And so now God is giving David permission to just literally take them out. You know, what's interesting is the, the one-third of the Moabites that were left alive, you look at the end of verse number two, they brought David gifts. Man, they're seeing it as merciful. Thank you for leaving at least one-third of us alive. So now you have the enemies to the west that are dead, the enemies to the south that are no longer. And then you have the only enemy that's listed by name. And this is interesting. We're going to come to it a couple of times, so hear it out this, this, uh, this evening. Verse number three, the only enemy that's listed by name is the enemy of Hadad-Ezer, or Hadad-Ezer. This enemy, Hadad-Ezer, <coughs> excuse me, Hadad-Ezer, the word Adad is actually a, uh, a god, the god Adad. And the name Hadad-Ezer, it means Adad is my helper. Adad is my helper. And yet, what do we find taking place in verse number three? We find the king who says, Adad, my, small, my little g, God will help me. We find them 
losing to Jehovah God. And Jehovah God is the only king. And what does, what does David do? Well, he, he hold the horses. He went and he made them useless as war horses, but they could still be agricultural horses. And this would be the enemy to the east. David would defeat Hadad Ezer, the enemy of, of the east and a little bit north of Jerusalem. And then he doesn't stop there. The Syrians, they come to attack because of David fighting with Hadad Ezer. And the Syrians are those just north of him. And what does David do? He takes them out too. And what is this? Well, in this chapter, what we see is we just simply see victory after victory after victory after victory. David defeating the enemies of the south, the west, the east, and the north. David expanding the kingdom. You know what David was doing? David was accomplishing what leaders before him had not done. See, the leaders before him had not, <clears throat> they had not taken out the enemies of God like God had requested. But here's David coming on the scene and saying, all right, God, we're going to follow you and we're going to take out the enemies that you have requested for us to take out. And David begins to, one by one, take these enemies out. I want to say tonight, to make a quick connection to us before we move on, is the simple fact that you and I need to recognize that, that there are enemies in our life that we have to deal with on a daily basis. The enemies of sin that wrestle for the throne of our heart. That you and I on a daily basis, we have to search our own life and search our own heart and search our thoughts and search our actions and our motives and our character and, and realize that there are enemies within our life that we need to deal with. There are enemies within our life that we need to deal with and every day we have to deal with sin. And the fact of the matter is that every day we're going to have to choose, am I going to allow enemies of sin to stay within my life or am I going to follow God and expel the enemies out of my life? And the Bible says that uh, we as God's children should gird on the armor of God each and every day and be ready for battle. Why would Paul write something like that in the book of Ephesians? Because Paul understood that every day we're going to wrestle we're going to wrestle with sin within us. I said a moment ago, I'm in the book of Romans, and I'm, uh, just today I was in <clears throat> the middle half of the book of Romans, and one of the chapters I read this morning was Romans chapter number 7, where Paul just states about that great wrestling match within him. I mean, think about this. The apostle Paul, I mean, the man of God that, 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 that wrote nearly uh, half of our New Testament, this man who traveled for years starting church after church after church and, and gave his life for the cause of Christ, and yet he said, I recognize that in me is a, is a, there's a great battle going on within my members. And that which I want to do, I don't do. And that which I don't want to do, I do. And, and the things that I don't want to think, I think. And the things I do want to think, I don't think. And oh, wretched man that, that is within me, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Man, there's a wrestling match each and every day that you and I have to battle. But the victory comes when we say, like Paul did, I thank God through Jesus Christ. I recognize victory comes when I follow the Lord. The very next verse after Paul says all that is Romans chapter 8 and verse number 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. 
Man, helping us understand that each and every day we choose. Am I going to allow sin to set on the throne of my life and that bitterness and that frustration? Am I going to allow that false motive? Am I going to allow uh, maybe that, that uh, uh, outward sin, maybe that lust or that lying or that habit that's not supposed to be there? Am I going to allow that to sit on the throne of my heart? Or am I, like David, going to say, I want to eliminate all enemies? I want to eliminate all enemies. The fact of the matter is that when you trusted Christ as your Savior, you got a bullseye on your back from the devil. And there is nothing more that the devil would love to do than to ruin your testimony with others and to cause you to allow the enemies of sin to live within your mind and within your heart. You and I must choose each and every day to eliminate those enemies out of our life. Listen, don't allow the devil to have room to work in your life. Don't allow the devil to have easy access into your life. We looked a couple of weeks ago as we wrapped up our story of Nehemiah at the Tobias in our life and those little things that start out small, but in the end, we look back and we think, man, I wish I would have never. I wish I would have never. Man, I'd, I'd rather be able to look back at my life and instead of saying, I wish I would, be, be able to say, I'm glad I did. And I'm glad I did. I'm glad I took care of that when it was small. Oh, I know it was just a, I know it seemingly was an insignificant amount of bitterness, but I'm glad I just gave it to the Lord and forgave that person for what they said. I, I'm glad, I know it was just a little, a little thing, a, maybe a little lie at the workplace, but I'm glad that I got that right and I, I took care of it. I'm glad I did not let it grow. Why? Because those enemies, those Philistines, those Moabites, those Ashtadites, those Ammonites, those people from the kingdom of Hadad Ezra, they're, they're going to creep in. And the Lord is saying, I believe tonight to help us understand, God is asking, what are you going to do? You have to choose for yourself. You got to choose for yourself to eliminate the enemy. David, he chose to eliminate the enemy. What's another choice that David made? I see the second choice tonight. David chose to dedicate his victories to the Lord. Oh, don't miss this tonight. He chose to dedicate his victories to the Lord. We don't have time to read <clears throat> all of the verses that apply to this, but I want you to look specifically at verse number 11. 2 Samuel 8, 11 says, which also King David did dedicate unto the Lord with the silver and the gold that he had dedicated of all nations which he subdued. This verse is summarizing for us what took place after every, get, get this. Do you see that part where it says that he dedicated of all nations which he subdued. Do you see that on there? This literally means that everything David was winning during these battles, he was just giving it to the Lord. He was just bringing it to the temple or to the, to the tabernacle at that time. He's just bringing it before the Lord. You know what this is? This is David recognizing that victory only comes from the Lord. You see, others before David, you go and do the research, and again, we don't have the time to really dissect all of the history. I'm kind of, uh, I'm kind of doing an assumption that we, we all kind of remember a little bit of the history of Israel. But you think about many of the leaders before David, specifically Saul. What did Saul do after winning battle? Many times, Saul took the spoils for himself. Isn't that interesting that Saul... It was actually prophesied that Saul would do that. You can go back to 1 Samuel, the beginning chapters of 1 Samuel, when the people 
request a king from, from God. They go to God and say, God, we want a king. We want to be like all other nations. They do that to Samuel. And Samuel, he gets pretty ticked off at him. Remember the story where Samuel's just irate before him and, and goes before God and is like, God, just strike him down. Just take care of all these people who are asking this. And, and God says to Samuel, Samuel, they're not, they're not rejecting your leadership. They're rejecting my leadership. But here's what they're going to do, Samuel. They're going to ask for a king and I'm going to give him a king. But you know what that king is going to do? That king is going to begin to take everything for himself. And sure enough, Saul had a good start. Two or three years, four or five years, humble before the Lord, but pretty soon, and don't, don't miss this, pretty soon pride set in. And Saul began to think, look what I've done. Look what I'm doing. Look how I'm subduing. And Saul began to bring all of that stuff unto himself and David had the choice. Do I follow that type of leadership or do I say, God, it all belongs to you? What David did in our passage tonight is David said, God, I'm going to dedicate it all to you. You know, it's interesting and I think something that's cool that I said I'd bring up throughout the night is the verses that specifically say that David dedicated something to the Lord it starts right after the victory over Hadad-Ezer. Hadad-Ezer, remember that name? Adad is my helper. Little God, Adad is my helper. I think it's cool that Adad didn't help anybody because Adad isn't a real God, but Jehovah God helped David, and David understood that. David recognized, I'm not winning this battle. God is. I'm not, I'm not winning these victories. I'm not accomplishing this. This is all God, and so I'm going to give this to the Lord. And you want to know, again, at this time in David's life, now those of you that know the story of David, let's not jump ahead because David wasn't reading the story of his life like we read the story of his life. I mean, we read the story of his life, and we think of those highs and those lows that we spoke about a moment ago. But at this point in David's life, you know what David was doing? He wasn't letting success go to his ego. He wasn't letting victory cause him to, to, to think that he was something. Because when success goes to your ego, you're in the prime position to fall flat on your face. And you know what David was doing? He was keeping a God-centered perspective in his success. God, I recognize that this is you. You see, real quickly tonight, God was blessing David in this passage. Think about it. David was successful in property. He was expanding the kingdom. I mean, all, all of the kingdom of David was expanding in this passage. And he was not only progressing or successful in property, but he was successful in power. Now David is ruling and he's reigning and he's defeating and he has victory after victory and offerings being offered. And power can corrupt somebody, but it wasn't corrupting David in this passage. He was just saying, nope, I dedicate it to the Lord. He was successful in property and power and prestige. Did you catch the verse, verse number 13, where it says that David got him a name? You know what that means? That literally means everybody was hearing about David. Man, all the kingdoms, they were hearing about David and about this, this conqueror for the people of Israel that has taken over Philistia and Moab and Edom and Syria and Hadad-Ezer and even Toy, a king from uh, far away, comes in and brings David gifts. Hey, thanks for taking care of my enemies too. Man, David is growing in, in property and power and in prestige, but 
In this passage, David wasn't growing in pride. David understood, God, you gave the victory and all of it belongs to you. You see, it's easy and it would have been easy for David to be humble when he was a shepherd. But it's not that easy when you rule the kingdom. It's easy to be humble when you're living in a tent, but it's not that easy to be humble when you're, when you're the king living in a palace. It's easy to be humble when you're losing battle after battle after battle after battle. It's not easy to be humble when you're winning day after day after day after day. And yet David, <clears throat> it was easy for him in this passage. Why? Because he wasn't forgetting who was giving the victories. You know, sometimes we forget who gives us the victories. Think about this. Sometimes we forget where our victories come from. We, we get the promotion at the job and all of a sudden we're a pretty smart person. Sometimes we work hard and we accomplish something because, uh, because well, look, look at what I've done is what the thought becomes. Look at what I'm building. Look at how smart. Look at how creative. Look at how knowledgeable. Look at how effective I have, how effective I am. Hey, look at the house I live in. Look at the car that I drive. Look at... And if we're not careful, with our success comes an ego. And the ego is, oh, maybe we're not going to walk around telling people to look at us. But the ego is something that starts within our heart that begins to kind of gloat to God. Hey, God, you got something special when you got me. Hey, God, I, I'm, I'm becoming something big time. Hey, God, look at... I wonder who gets the glory in our life when we have victories. David, he was literally giving back to the Lord because he knew that it all comes from the Lord. I heard a quote this week, and it was this. What you do with the stuff that God gives you tells others who you really think owns it. What you do with the stuff that God gives you tells others who you, think really, who you really think owns it. When I have a victory in my life, am I quick to say, God, I just want to give this glory back to you? Hey, you got a promotion, man. Praise God. Thank you, God. Hey, you, hey, you, you, got, that, you got that deal on that house or that car, man. Thank you, God. Hey, you, you got that deal done at the workplace. Hey, thank you, God. Hey, look, there was that relationship restored with that neighbor that has been at, at odds for a year. Hey, thank you, God. It's not, it's not, wow, man, I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty good business dealer. Wow, I can, I can wax eloquent with them. No, it's God, thank you. David chose to eliminate the enemy. David, David chose to dedicate his victories to the Lord. And third tonight, David chose to lead with the word of God. David chose to lead with the word of God. Up until this point, the leaders before him even Eli and Samuel. Eli and Samuel, we would look at Eli and Samuel, and I don't know if, if this is you, but Samuel is one of my most favorite prophets in the Old Testament. I just, I love the story of Samuel, a young boy that moves in at maybe four or five years old. I mean, maybe even younger, moves in under Eli, and, 
And at the age of maybe eight years old, here's the voice of God. And God says, I'm going to set you up as a great prophet before me. And, and Samuel, you look at Samuel's life, you don't find many flaws with Samuel. You know what Samuel forgot to do? While Samuel was leading the nation with the word of God, Samuel forgot to lead his family with the word of God. And what did God have to do with Samuel but set Samuel down and say, Samuel, your sons are wicked before me. Samuel, you may have led a good nation, but Samuel, you forgot your family. You know what David was doing? Again, let's not fast forward. Let's look at David's life right now. You know, David was saying, I want to lead with the word of God. Notice verse 15, 2 Samuel 8, 15. It says this, and David, he reigned over all Israel. And notice how it says he reigned. He executed judgment and justice unto all his people. This verse literally means that David chose to allow the law of God to be that which led the kingdom. He allowed the law of God to be that which led the kingdom. He was saying, this will not be a place where I have final say. It would be a place where God will have the final say. It's not about what I say is right, my justice. It's about his judgment and his justice. It's about what God says is right. Judgment would be judicial rule according to the law of God. Justice would be righteousness according to the law of God. You know what David was doing? He was faithfully embracing his God-given role as leader and saying, I am going to lead according to to the law of God. He understood that God had called him to, to be king. And as king, he realized that he could lead like Saul led in pride and with his own way, or he could lead and be led by the word of God. David was choosing to make decisions in his government based upon the word of God and the righteousness of God. And the question I would ask us tonight is, do we do that in our life? Do we do that in our roles? Am I, am I guided by the word of God and the roles that God has placed me in? You see, God had placed David in the role of king, and David said, I'm going to fulfill this role according to God's word. I wonder, uh, God has placed you as, uh, as the role of retiree. God has placed you as the role of dad or grandpa or grandma or, or mom. He's placed you as the role of worker. He's placed you as the role of aunt or uncle or sibling or, or son or daughter. Your role that you're doing is, are you fulfilling it according to or guided by the word of God? You see, we have to choose for ourselves. I've got to choose for myself tomorrow if I'm going to lead as a dad and a husband and a pastor according to God's word or according to my way. You know what David was doing? He was leading according to the word of God. I see these three thoughts tonight that David... He chose for himself to follow God, to eliminate the enemy, to dedicate his victories to the Lord, to glorify God in his victories, and then to lead with the word of God. Before we close tonight, I want you to notice what God did for David. Do you see the end of verse 6 and verse number 14? Both of those verses 
they end with this phrase, and the Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. The Lord preserved David whithersoever he went. That word preserved, it means he delivered, protected, and caused to be safe. You know, this is telling us literally God was with David every step of the way in this chapter. Every step of the way in this chapter, God was with David. I'm with him in the battlefield, given victory over Philistia and Moab and Edom and Syria and Hadad-Ezer, the north, south, east, and west. I'm with him as he expanded his kingdom. I'm with him as he's dedicating things back to me. I'm with him as he's governing in justice and in judgment. You know what God was saying? I was with him every step of the way. You know, I think this puts out a principle to us. That as David was seeking God, God was working through David. And that's a principle in the word of God, that as you and I seek God, God promises to continue to work. As you and I, if I can say it this way, as we walk in the will of God, we can trust that what I said this morning in our closing thought, we can trust that no matter what comes our way, 1 Samuel 1, 9, God is faithful. Think about these verses. I mentioned this one this morning, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you, he'll perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 13, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I'll never leave thee. I'll never forsake thee. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things work together for good to them who love God. And it doesn't stop there. A lot of people like to stop right there. All things work together for good. Hey, just love God and everything will work together for good. It doesn't stop there. It says all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Do you know what that part of that verse means? It, it means as I walk in the will of God, as I seek God and pursue God each and every day, and while I am going to make decisions that, that, that may go against God, while I, I still deal with this flesh and may face some temptation and, and maybe give into that, but as I, like David, will just keep coming back to saying, God, I'm going to keep seeking you. As I'm doing that, I can trust that God is always going to be working good in my life. Now, what that doesn't mean is that doesn't mean that there won't be tragedy. That doesn't mean that things won't be challenging. This doesn't mean that there won't be loss. Do you know what we don't read about in these verses that you can go to Second to First Chronicles and read about? They had people die in war. When they went against Philistia and Moab and all these places, people died in war. Man, I wonder if when people were dying in war, do you think David was going, all right, God's in this. And there's tragedy along the way. It doesn't mean that there won't be loss. It doesn't mean that there won't be challenges. You see, life will always have challenges and trials, and life will always leave some scars. But what it does mean is it means that whatever comes, I can know that God will see me through it. 
I can know that God will provide for me through it. And, and it may not be, it may not be that I see that good in this life, but I know and I can stand upon the principles of the word of God to understand that everything that comes in my life as I walk in the will of God, anything that comes my way, God says, I will use this to further my name. I will use your life for good, the good of the kingdom of God. I will use your life for that. Just walk with me. It means whatever comes, I know that God will see me through. It's a a follow-up again to that thought we had this morning that God is faithful and he is never going to quit. He's never going to quit on you. Man, God's never going to abandon you and abandon me. You know, it's healthy for a Christian to remember that truth every day because I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes the monotony of life causes me to say, man, God, where are you? You ever done that? You ever thought, man, God, I, I feel like I've been, and we begin, to, we begin to kind of say, hey, God, look at everything I've been doing. Don't I deserve better? Be careful when you do that because that's the mindset of the Pharisees. The mindset of the Pharisee was, God, if I perform, then you'll bless more. That's not the mindset of the Christian. The mindset of the Christian just says, God, you loved me, and I love you back. And God, I trust. I trust you that no matter what happens, you're in control. And I trust you that no matter what takes place, you're on the throne. And I trust you that you're going to preserve me. You're going you're to keep me wherever I go. As I walk in the will of God, God, I trust that if I seek first the kingdom of God, that you're going to add all these other things into my life. It's not, the, it's not the health and wellness gospel that people like to preach because there's tragedy. And this same principle applies to uh, Christians in North Korea right now that are being persecuted and killed for the faith. This same principle applies to them. But their situation is different than ours. And they could look at it and say, God, here we are being persecuted and yet you're letting us die. And God says, hey, listen, I will use it for good. You just have to trust that I am always working. And can I remind you tonight, this week, there, there might be challenges this week. There might be scars this week. There might be triumphs this week. There might be great victories this week ahead of you. But this week, you have to choose I have to choose, and I, choose, I want to encourage you to make the decision. I choose to follow God. I choose to say I'm going to eliminate the enemies of my life, the, the sin that's in my life. It's not going to stay there. And this week, I choose to glorify God in anything that comes my way. I'm just going to point to him. And this week, I choose to, to go through my life being led and leading with the word of God. And this week, I choose to trust that as I walk with God, As I walk with God, God is walking with me. As I walk with God, he will never leave me nor forsake me. And this week, if I I choose one day, if I choose to go my own way, even though I quit on God, God's not going to quit on me. And I can just come right back to him and be like David, a man after God's own heart, one who continually, continually seeks the heart of God. I look at our passage tonight and I see David having to choose for himself. And tonight you have to choose for yourself. 
You got to choose for you this week. Joshua presented it to the people of Israel in Joshua 2014 when he said this, choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And I wonder this week, who is your life going to point to? I wonder this week in the monotony of the, of the day-to-day business of life, who's going to receive the glory? This week when challenges come, who's going who's to be the one that you trust in and lean into? This week, as you embrace the roles that God has given you, are you going to embrace them being led and leading with the word of God? May we tonight make the decision that David made to say, God, I don't care what anybody before me has done. God, I choose to follow you. Let's have every head bowed and every eye closed tonight. And Maybe you would look into your life tonight and and there would be some area of your life where there's maybe some sin. There's some sin. There's some little bit of bitterness. There's that little seed of envy. There's that little lie. There's that that little sin that's just there. And tonight you need to say, God, I need to choose to eliminate that. Maybe it's in your victories. You've been claiming them. And tonight you need to say, God, I want to I give you the glory for victory in my life, for success in my life. Maybe tonight you haven't been led by or leading with the word of God and you need to say, God, I just want to choose to allow your word to lead me. Maybe it's just in the area of trust. God, I want to choose to trust you. But tonight, overall, the decision I pray that we would make is, God, I choose to follow you this week. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that it's been an encouragement to you. And if you'd like any further information about our church, We'd like to encourage you to visit mlbc.church.